Well, good morning. And as I said before, it's great to see you in church. Good place to be. Here comes a quick history. You ready? I was born at Morwell. Rosanna was born at Warrigal. I went to school in Druin, I mean, in Morwell until I was 10 years old. Then we moved onto the farm and we both ended up at Druin High School. I heard her singing over the radio when I was milking my father's cows. And then on her first day of high school, they let her sing at the assembly. And when I saw Rosanna singing at the assembly, I was in a couple of years older. That's her first day of high school. I said, yes. But being very shy then. <laughs> I fell in love straight away with that big 12-string guitar she was playing. No, it's just... That's partly true. And yes, it took, only took about another mm, three years to actually get to meet her. We were, had a segregated school. It was very different in those days. And we sort of formed our first band, played in the local areas everywhere from, really from, we've been out to Orbost, I suppose, but from Lakes Entrance through Menion, Foster, Yarram, all of these places here in Sale, Bensdale, all the way through to Pakenham, that was our kind of main area. Then we decided to become a professional band, went to the city, started working full time, did that for about seven years, then Jesus joined. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said, I don't like you. Why? Because you're a pastor dressing up to look like a rocker and you're going out there pretending you're a rocker. No, I said, no, it's actually the other way around. <laughs> I don't accept that. Do you want to say something? I asked her to marry me. When I was, no, it's true. I asked, her to, I asked Rosanna to marry me because, you know, after that day when I saw her, I knew. I asked her to marry me and six years later, she said yes. We were here on Friday doing youth and I just want to say just what a great night, what a great youth group you have, what a great team, what a great group of people. It was just awesome to, to be here and I want you to know that God has a purpose, He's got a plan for your life. He's given you gifts and He wants you to use them to, to get out. Don't get discouraged. Don't get in despair because of what's going on and think, well, what's my future? You have a great future in God. He's got a plan for your life and He's given you gifts that you can fulfil that future. So don't get discouraged. Just go, I'm, I'm going to make a difference in this world. I'm going to do something for God in this world. Doesn't matter what people say, if they put me down or whatever, I've got a future and I'm going to make a difference in this world. And for everybody else, keep praying. We have got, and I don't want to repeat everything that Brian said, but I certainly heartily amen what he said. Because... This city needs to be one for Jesus. There are people out there, they are lonely, they are in despair. Um, not everyone, some think, you know, oh, it's going to be okay, but some are searching. You know, the devil comes to kill and to steal and to, to destroy, but Jesus came that they would have life and have it abundantly. And that's how we need to live, with life abundantly. Life, life, life. And people need that life just by you hanging around them, just being there. They go, 
what's this life? <laughs> they might not put it in those words. But just there are people around you that need Jesus and you have that answer. It can, it can just come in so many different ways. Just be there. Be there to, to help them, to answer a problem, to just build relationship until you get to the point that you can lead them to the one who has all the answers. Thanks, darling. <laughs> you know, when we first we, we took over the church at Kerrang when the lockdown came, and you can imagine Rosanna and I stand out a bit in Kerrang. <laughs> Not like the trendy people here. <laughs> Real conservative. It's really conservative. So when they first meet us, they're all friendly. Then they find out where the pastor's at the church. Then suddenly they lose the friendliness. They're very standoffish. But you just keep pressing in. I mean, keep talking to them. Because it's the love that God has in us and the glory that's all around us. Now I'm totally off the track, but it doesn't matter. I'll tell another story. You know, you carry a presence, especially when you've been in a worship service like this morning, in your quiet time, is building up your faith in the most Holy Ghost, speaking in the Holy Ghost. You know what I mean? You carry something, but you're not aware of it, but other people don't know what it is, but they're aware of it. Amen. So one day we got close to the end of the Hillsong Conference and one of our ex, well, used to be at our church, moved to Sydney and she was up there and she said, oh, I've met this girl at Hillsong. She needs a lift because someone's supposed to pick her up from the conference and take her. She just needs a lift to the train station at Parramatta. Anybody been to Parramatta? Especially in the old days, it was interesting. There's, a, there's the uh, exclamation point from God. So I said, yeah, we'll take her there. So we drove down to that station in Parramatta and I looked at it and I thought, this place looks really seedy. I better walk with this girl down there to make sure she's safe. Big mistake, right? So I am innocently walking this other girl down to the train station to the tickets and standing around is all the street people. Well, do you think that what was in them got, didn't get stirred up by me? You can think again. Because I get close down there, then all of a sudden this street lady comes right up into my face and she started swearing and dropping words at me and telling me off like this. She's right there telling me that I'm looking at this girl thinking I'm supposed to be keeping her safe. <laughs> and I could see from the look on this lady's face, her face was saying, I have no idea why I'm saying this. <laughs> I've never seen it before, but everybody's sitting around thinking, what did he do to her? And I'm, it happens, amen? I went into one shop and he, he was supposed to find me a code for the radio. I bought a new car, a second-hand one, and I needed the radio code. So he rings me up and says, I've got the code. I go there and he goes, I can't find it. Go back sometime later. He rings up, I got the code. I go there again. He goes, I can't find it. So I go away and he comes back the third time. And then he's behind the candle like this. And he goes, I've got the code this time. But before I give it to you, you've got to tell me, who are you and what do you do? It just, I didn't do anything. I went into the dry cleaner one day. I had some jeans, other ones, but they were worn out. So I wanted to dye them a different colour. So I had some old jeans. So I took them in and I wanted some dyed black and I wanted one burgundy pair. Why? I have no idea. You had to be there, I suppose, whatever decade that was. And, and they got the black ones done really quickly, but they kept saying, oh, we haven't got the others done yet. They haven't got the others. And I just kept going in. Then one day, 
I go in and they had them, I think, and they said, what is it about you? What is it? And they started giving me free tickets for the dry cleaners and stuff. What did I do? Absolutely nothing. But what's on you and what's on me impacts people. They reckon Charles Finney went on a train because that's what they drove in those days. He's sitting on the train and there's a passenger opposite him looking at him and after all he goes, my God, man, you convict me of sin. And he kneeled down and said, pray for me. (laughs) Charles Finney, I'm just standing there, amen. Then they took him into a, a stable. No, they took him into a factory and he's looking around in the factory and then they said, uh, he's just looking at everybody. And you know, the people in that factory started dropping on their knees and crying out to God. So he took them all out into the stable and they had a revival meeting because nobody could think about anything but God. When we first got saved, our band members got led to Jesus and Richard Nugent, who some of you probably know, he said to us, do you know anybody else that needs to be saved? And we said, yeah, someone who goes like this. He goes, Father, in the name of Jesus, I bind the power of Satan around him and we send the Holy Ghost. Well, we thought that's how you pray. And I'll tell you what, it worked. So we put down names of every person we could think of and day and night we prayed for them by name and just prayed that prayer. And then John, the new Christian who repented of, every, of a lot of things, he used to add this bit on the end, I'll do it again. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for, we'd say one of them was Bill. We pray for Bill. We bind the power of Satan around Bill. We send the Holy Ghost. And John would add in, and convict him, Lord, convict him. And we'd just go to the next name. And literally stacks of people started coming to a house and getting saved. People got saved in concerts. It's amazing what happened. And there's nothing special about us. There's nothing special. Yeah, that was getting a bit loud there. There's nothing special about us. It's the Jesus we were praying to. Our drummer said, don't tell me about Jesus. We said, okay, we won't tell him. We won't talk to him about Jesus, but that does not stop us talking to Jesus about him. Amen. (laughs) One lady said to me, don't pray for me for God's sake. And I thought, well. It just comes out of their mouths. They don't have a clue what they're saying. I just want to encourage you. Yes, this is a day for evangelism. This is definitely a day for revival. This is also a day for the prophets to speak. Amen. We're in a season of the prophets. You know, the Bible says, let the prophets speak. Don't hold them back. You know, let the prophets speak, two or three at the most, but the others that sit by judge it. Amen. Despise not prophecy. So we've got to be very wise about this and make sure we let the prophet speak. Some of you have got that prophetic gift. Amen. It's time to speak it out. I tell them in the church, I said, if you go wrong, don't worry about it. It's a fail safe area. It's safe to fail. There's plenty of other prophets here that can just put it right. Amen. And, And in 40 years of doing this, I've only ever heard one demonic tongue. One person came in and tried to give a message in tongues by the devil. And it was so funny. I just burst out laughing. Because you think, how would you know? Trust me, you'd know. (laughs) That's all I'll say. It was hilarious. I thought he was naming off the towns in New South Wales and the outback, you know. (laughs) I'm sure I heard him say grong grong and something else and West Wyalong and stuff. And it was just ridiculous. 
Anyway, some funny things have happened in church. We haven't got time for that today. I believe that this is prophetic. And Pastor Brian keeps asking me, what do you see for the future? And I keep saying at what it says in Isaiah, gross darkness covers the people, but the glory of the Lord will arise on you. And there's going to be this kind of two things going on at once and how long it takes for the world and the governments and all that to change. We're going to talk about that. But while this glory is happening, I believe that this is going to be a great revival and there will be a huge ingathering. You know how I know that for sure? Because the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. Amen. A glorious church. When I got married, my wife wasn't hiding down the back of the church somewhere. She walked up the aisle dressed up perfectly. And when I looked around and saw her, I mean, I would have loved her if she had to come in her old clothes, her work clothes, her concert clothes, whatever. But she came down there dressed resplendently or whatever the word is, because she was serious about it. Amen. And when Jesus is coming back, He's not trying to go and look for us all hiding in holes and caves. He's looking for a glorious church. Amen. Without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Amen. And that's got nothing to do with these things that come into the corners of your eyes. He's talking about a holy church that's pure, that's worthy of Jesus. Amen. And the church has to become that. And whether you like it or not, that's a prophetic word because that one's written in the Bible. Amen. We are destined to become the pure church. And I don't want to hold back. And I know how Jesus feels because I got married. Before my brother got married, he came up with this old song, which some of you may remember. I don't even know how he knew it, but he started walking around singing, I'm getting married in the morning. And I'm going, oh man, because he's older than me. And I'm thinking, I will never do that. (laughs) But guess what I did the day I got married? I'm getting married. Get me to the church, you know. I was excited about getting married. It was exciting. Jesus is excited right now, amen. And you know what gets the church ready? He washes them with the water of the Word. Plus, it says in Revelation, the bride has made. I'm an ask question and answer. I leave gaps for everybody, amen. I used to teach in college. The bride has made. You say the word. Herself ready. When Rosanna got ready, was I allowed to see her on the wedding day? Who got her ready? Does anybody know how you get ready for a wedding? (laughs) She got herself ready. She did the hair for the bridesmaids while she was there. So this is what it says at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says, the bride has made herself ready. Amen. Combination of two things. He's washing you with the water of the Word. And then the bride makes herself ready. You take that Word in because the Word of God has the power to change our lives. Amen. The Word of God is not just writing in a book. When you take that Word into your heart, remember Jesus taught us this? It's in my book down there called The Day God Explained Himself. Jesus said, the sower sows the Word. I believe that's the fundamental teaching of Jesus. The sower sows the Word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the Word is sown, on the path. In other words, the sower sows the Word. Satan comes immediately to steal the Word. There's your warfare there. A man said to me once, he said, 
just trying to be cool, you know. <clears throat> Me and my mates were going down to the cemetery at midnight to confront the devil. <laughs> I laughed in his face. I thought, what devils are going to hang around there? Maybe one little spirit of fear scaring a couple of kids at night time. And you know what? I even used, we used to do this outreach in pubs all the time. And you know what? I walked into that great big pub. It's about the size of this building. And I walked in and looked around. No one's here. And I said, every devil in the name of Jesus, leave now. And they did. That's not the toughest devils. One night we were playing in this huge big nightclub right in the city of Melbourne up on Exhibition Street. And when we got in there, we had to get in super early to set up. So we finished setting up, you know, three or four o'clock or something, but we didn't start playing till 10. So guess what I did for all that time? I was praying, practicing spiritual warfare. It was fun. They don't know what I'm doing. And then when, the, you know, the nightclub starts and you've got all that music, you know, that stuff, it's all playing. And I'm just walking around because I hadn't been on the platform yet. No one knows who I am. So I'm walking around like this and I saw the lady carrying the drinks to the table. So I walk along behind, I'm going, I bind you, alcoholic devil. They can't hear me because of the music, right? I bind you, alcoholic devil. I bind every spirit of drunkenness. Then I saw a guy over here trying to get his arm around a girl and kiss her. And they're just about to kiss. And I'm standing behind them like this. I bind you, spirit of lust. I command you to stop. And they looked at each other and back right off. <laughs> That's not where the hard devils are, amen? You know what happened in that, in that nightclub? On Monday morning... The owner rang up our manager and said, we don't want that band back. He said, why not? He said, I don't know what happened. He said, we had a record crowd. The place was packed all night, but that's the lowest take we've ever taken over the bar. <laughs> that's not, I was a beginner just practising, amen? Can affect the whole bar take in a nightclub. But this is where the battle is, amen? The sower sows the Word. Satan comes immediately to steal it. So when you leave the church every Sunday, when you read your Bible, the devil's waiting on there. That's where the warfare is. He's trying to steal the Word. So I've got a saying. I've said this everywhere since I first had this idea. You ready? You've got to repeat this after me in about three seconds. You ready? Take a deep breath. Eat the Word, take the Word, think the Word, say the Word, meditate on the Word, study the Word, learn the Word, grow in the Word. You can memorise the Word. You can sing it, shout it, say it and pray it. Why? Because the Word is God. In the beginning was the? And the Word was with God and the Word was? God. The same as in the beginning with God and all things were made by Him. Without Him, with anything made that was made. Amen. Him is life and the life is the light of men. You need the Word of God. There's life in the Word. You've got to take that Word, take it in. You can have it on a CD. You can have it on your phone. If you're old enough, you can still remember, you can have it on a cassette. You can have it in all forms of ways. You can get it in a book. You can watch it on YouTube. But you need the Word of God. You need it every day. Amen. The Word has power to change your life. You know, I don't, I don't like, I'm not criticising anybody else, but some people think they get grace and mercy mixed up. See, mercy says this, when you need mercy, you go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Mercy is when you've sinned and say, God, I did it, I was wrong, please forgive me, and He shows you mercy, and He arranged that all through the death and resurrection of Jesus, but grace is a different thing. He says, and receive 
grace to help. Grace to help. Grace is power to change us. Amen. See, some people think, have grace. Leave people in their sin. Don't worry about your sin. It's all covered by grace. It's a misunderstanding. Amen. We remember when the Pensacola revival was on, a guy from Pensacola came to our church and he thinks, and he said this, some people think, you know, um, I've got to think of the way he put it now. If you sin, God understands. He knows where you're at. He said, God doesn't understand because He's given you the blood of Jesus. He's given you the name of Jesus. He's given you the Word of God. He's given you the new birth and the righteousness of God and open access to heaven, amen. And He's made grace available. You don't have to stay in sin, amen. You can change, hallelujah. It's the only thing that's ever helped me, amen. All right, let's get into today's message. I just, this has a little, a tiny few foundation stones we have to put in place, okay? You know, I was the Bible college principal for a while. <laughs> it's all right. I don't just do shouting and music, but after I heard Julian, I thought, oh, I've got the preach on me now. God made us in His image, didn't He? All right? Isn't that true? Satan was a cherub, Lucifer, the anointed cherub who covers. He did a sin, he fell. And when he saw Adam and Eve, Adam was given the authority and the dominion of the earth. I mean, this is just a little bit of, we all know this probably. So he had the authority of the earth, but the devil tricked him into obeying the devil. And that reminds us of how tricky the devil is and how much he wants us to submit to him. Let me tell you a story. Unaccustomed as I am to telling stories, not, okay. One day the Mormons came to my house when I was a new Christian. I thought, this is good. So I said to them, come in. And they tell me all about their stuff and I'm listening. And then they said at the end, they said, read our book and pray and ask God if it's right. That's what they say. And that's a real trap. So when they left, I prayed to God. I said, God, what should I do? What should I do with their book? And he told me. And then I realized it's not the praying whether the book's right. It was submitting to them is the problem. See, they gave me an instruction. Read our book, then pray and ask God if it's right. So I couldn't wait for them to come back because I had the answer. When they came back, I said, come in, sit down. And then I said, you know, last time you were here, you told me to read the book and pray and see if it was the right book. I said, you misled me. You want to know what? So I said, so I prayed first. And they go, did you? And I leaned toward them. They leaned toward me. I said, you want to know what God said? They said, yes. I said, he said, burn it. <laughs> they left defeated, of course. And you, you think about Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal and Ahab, right? Think about that story. It's hilarious. He says, all right, this is what we'll do. We'll all go to Mount Carmel. And they go, yes. They were already lost. Amen. They were already lost because they were submitting to him. We'll go to Mount Carmel. Okay. Now, get me a bull. Okay. Let's set up two altars. Okay. <laughs> They've already lost, haven't they? And eventually the fire comes. So watch out who you're submitting to. I'm sure Pastor Brian will fill in some more information on that. Okay. So this, this is 
crucial today. If you don't get anything else, we're going to put this scripture up. It's 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. And this one is essential to understand. Let's all try to read this. Here you go. You ready? We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. How much of the world? Surely not the good people in the world. That's, I'm glad you asked that. Because the Bible says when God made Adam and Eve, he gave them one instruction, wasn't it? Well, it's a big instruction. You can freely eat of any tree of the garden except the tree that's in the midst of the garden, which is which tree? The knowledge of evil. Is that, was that right? The knowledge of evil. It's the knowledge of good and evil. See, what I'm about to say in a different version, that's, that scripture there says this. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And I've looked up the Greek and the Aramaic and it does mean that. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, the devil has a counterfeit kingdom. A whole counterfeit kingdom, which is based on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in his kingdom, there are both sides. This is clear. We've got to understand this. There are two sides to this. In his kingdom, there are bad people and sometimes there's other people in his kingdom who are fighting against the bad people. And so he says, we've got good people in our kingdom. He'll even say this to you. I've got church in my kingdom. Why don't you come to my church? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to submit to anybody. You don't even have to put in 10%. I've got a good church. Come to it. Your sin doesn't matter. You don't even have to worry about your sin. You'll be right. Come along. We'll look after you. Amen. And then you've got the government and the world out there and some aspects of the government that want to take over God's role in our lives. And they say, you don't need God. I'll provide your needs. You know, it's a bit like, I know there's some Gippsland lakes. In the old days, they used to be cut off from the ocean. Can you imagine that? They go down, they say, oh, the lake's getting very low at this end, their sail. And some guy says, I know where there's water. He goes down the other end of the lake and gives you some. It's the same lake, amen. That's what the government sometimes does. We'll meet your need. Where are you going to get the money? We've got a printing press. Woohoo! It's like a friend of mine. He discovered there was such a thing as a checkbook. He had a great day out spending money. Let's <laughs> say a friend, a young man I knew, amen. Another one found a checkbook. He was having a good day too. And then one guy came to our church. We had a church in St. Kilda. A lot of mental illness down there. He came with a checkbook. He was handing out million-dollar checks to the church. <laughs> and then the police were saying to me, I don't think you'll get your money. <laughs> and we must remember that God is our provider. Amen. All right, on with the story. You ready? We're gonna, this is going to be good. So Adam and Eve... Follow down a few people and you get to Abraham. Abraham had a son called Isaac. He had a, two children called Jacob. And he saw Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. So he had 12 sons 
And those 12 sons became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph's sons got doubled up. It's been a bit strange. So basically there's 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. They grew up till there's about 70 people. Joseph was sold into Egypt. There was a famine in the land. They went to Egypt because that's where God had them go because God was looking after them. But later on, remember, when Isaac was there, he didn't go to Egypt. So you've got to go where God instructs you, all right? Because in this story, Egypt is a picture of the world that's controlled by the devil. So Egypt under Pharaoh is a picture of the world controlled by the devil. And the children of Israel, as they're called, is a picture of God's people. And the first level they went to, they went in there. Joseph was there. He cared for them, looked after them. And then the next Pharaoh probably remembered. But after several hundred years, they were entrenched in the world system. And you know that if you reject God and you reject God's system and people call it so-called freedom, we don't want to be living under God's rules. We want freedom, but it won't stay free. Soon they're ruled by a very cruel tyrant and that's what happened to God's people. God's people were in the world depending on the world controlled by a tyrant. Yeah. Amen. Some people say that's not born again yet. They've got to cross the, the, the river. But they were God's people in there. But God looked after them. Amen. When he sent Moses a deliverer, Moses called down 10 plagues on Egypt, but it didn't come on Goshen. Amen. Not even the death of the firstborn. So they finished in there. This is important. Then they're leaving. We're going to leave from Egypt over there, the promised land this way, right? So the first thing they do, they leave Egypt. They're going out. Then Pharaoh changed his mind while he left them and followed them. They got to the Red Sea. Now remember the little boy in school back in the 60s? This is when this sort of thing would happen. The local minister came in and he said, really, there's, there's no miracles in the Bible. I was in the classroom and heard some of this. Jesus didn't really walk on water and knew where the sandbars were. Have you ever seen the Lake of Galilee? <laughs> it's a big pond in a river. There's no sandbars out there. Amen. He was walking on the sandbars. <laughs> and then and they said this. It wasn't really a miracle. All the, you know, the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. It was really the Reed Sea and it's only this deep. And a little boy's in the classroom. He's going... It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And the guy at the front said, no, son, it's not a miracle. It was only this deep. And he goes, it is a miracle. It's a miracle. What do you mean it's a miracle? God drowned the whole Egyptian army in that much water. <laughs> I'm not laughing at my own joke. I just think that is so obvious that even a little kid could see it. Amen. <laughs> Don't know where these people. So they got to the Red Sea. It hadn't divided yet. And they're there. And God puts this pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, then Moses doesn't know what to do. And God says to him, turn back and set up camp. So all of God's people now getting chased by the tyrant that's in government and they turn around, they go backwards, they set up camp and they're talking to each other like this going, we feel like live bait. And God says, that's exactly what you are. Amen. Live bait. Pharaoh keeps coming. And when Pharaoh gets close, the pillar of fire, cloud, whatever moves, Moses holds up his stick. The thing, I got it. Don't you love Moses? <laughs> what a courageous man. He walks into Pharaoh and he goes, let all your slaves go. Millions of slaves. Let them all go. And Pharaoh goes, well, who's going to make me? And Moses said, me. And Pharaoh said, I'm making this up, all right? It's not in the Bible like this. Pharaoh says, 
well, how are you going to make me? I've got the mightiest military in the world today. What have you got? And Moses goes, I've got a stick. <laughs> He's a country boy, isn't he? <laughs> Amen, I've got a stick. Yeah. My dad never went anywhere without a stick. You need a stick in case the snakes come out. <laughs> Amen. But Moses' stick killed off all of his military. Amen. He held his stick up, the sea split, they went across. So the first stage of life with God can be living as a Christian in the world. Who controls the world system? It's gone away. I'm telling you, we've got to get used to this is mind renewal. Who controls the world system? Satan. Is there good and people in his kingdom? Good and bad people? Yes. The only way out of that is to be born again. We've been telling them for years. Will all good people go to heaven? No, it's irrelevant. You've got to be born again. Don't we tell people that? Well, let's accept the fact that out there there's bad people. There's others that are supposedly good people trying to keep the bad people in line. That's such a, uh, what would you call it, a deception of the devil to think that those good people are nearly Christians. No, they're not. Amen. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You have to be born again. But you can still live in dependence on the world system. I, I did tell Pastor Brian, if I go too far, he can push me off. Okay, that's true. Now, I've learned a few things hanging around with God for 40 years. And one of the things I've learned is this, and I hope no one's got stones, but it's who do you run to? Who do you go to? An idol is someone you look to to provide any of the things that God has said. It's very easy for us to fall to the world system. I need some money. Quick, go to the bank. I need some healing. Quick, go to the, the professionals. I need some financial advice. First thing you should ask him is, how wealthy are you? That's the first thing you should ask him. <laughs> you don't go to those situations. Okay, you're looking at me strange. Psalm number one, what does it say? Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, he stands not in the way of the scornful, sits not in the way of the but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Amen. In his law he meditates day and night. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The blessed man walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Learning as a Christian to let go of that whole world system and to go even into the wilderness where you start depending on God is a huge step. I'm encouraging you to make it. Rosanna and, made that, Rosanna and I made that step a long time ago. They said, when all this COVID thing comes out, you could lose your job. We said, we already did that. We already did that 40 years ago. They gave up our job to follow Jesus. That's no threat. Amen. But for some people, it is a threat. And it's hard to let go of our dependence on the world. Amen. Let's move along in this story. They crossed, the, they crossed the Red Sea. That's over here now. They crossed the Red Sea. They get into the wilderness. Now, you know what happened in the wilderness. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, often we think of wilderness is a terrible place. But think about some guy in the wilderness getting up to give a testimony. Just think about this, right? Think about it. He gets up and he gives his testimony. He's met some uh, Amalekites and he's given them a testimony. Man, my church is amazing. We don't have any enemies fighting us. When we're hungry, God provides. 
Our clothes never wear out. Shoes are still perfect. Nobody's, we got gold and silver. We got that from the Egyptians. We got tons of money. They say, is there anywhere you can spend it? No, there's nowhere to spend it, but we've got it, amen. Our shoes never wear out. We don't have to go and work in the factory. This is great. We've got a great church. You should see our leader. He meets with God. His face shines. He doesn't just read the Bible. He writes the Bible. Amen. What a great church this is. That's wilderness living. God provides every day. Wilderness. No enemies to fight. Wilderness. No giants attacking. Wilderness. Oh, but God provides our food. Wilderness. I know this is bad mind renewal, isn't it? So the next thing then, they get up to the Jordan River and before they cross over, I think we've got this scripture coming up somewhere. Let's move along and see what the next one is. No, we got past that. They get to the brink of the world. They get to the brink of the Jordan River into the promised land and God says to Moses, get me 12 people. Whose idea was it? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send me, send men to spy at the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a. Were these, were these car park prophets? Are these false prophets to start with? These are recognised leaders from among God's people. I tell you, when I realised this, and actually God showed me this in the middle of the night some time ago, when I realised this, this is scary stuff. We're in the season of the prophets. So God says, it's God's idea. Okay, everybody repeat after me. This was God's idea. One man from each tribe, a recognised leader, a proper person with a genuine gift because God sent them, might be in the next scripture, God sent them in to spy out the land. Now, what does spy mean? Who remembers that game, I spy with my little? So spying has got to do with seeing, amen? So these are like prophets. They're seers. They're seeing what God, oh, that's not, yeah, we don't need that one yet. They're seeing what God has for his people, right? Twelve chosen leaders given a gift of prophetic vision for the future. I'm going to keep repeating this because it's hard to get over this point. Twelve recognised chosen leaders by God's choice are given the gift of seeing what God has planned for His people. There's a lot of prophets in this season and I think that this is very prophetic here and it's warning us about who you should listen to. Because what happened? They all saw what God had for the future. Forty days of visions of God's provision and God's plan for their future. But you know what happened when they came back? Over 80% of the genuinely gifted prophets and called and hands laid on and appointed, over 80% of them didn't lead God's people the right direction. You're going very quiet. That's how I felt when I first heard this too. Very quiet. That's really hard to get used to. Well, how do we know which ones are right? Amen. Didn't Jesus say you'll know them by their fruits? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody know the first one? What's the second one? Joy. Love, joy. Now, doesn't the Bible say that God is love? 
Then it also says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So when they came back from spying out the promised land, they came back and they all spoke. And they said, oh yeah, where God's taking us is good. God's got a good future. But there's giants over there. And then they started putting words in the giant's mouth. And we're grasshoppers in their sights. And they started preaching fear, doubt and unbelief. Genuine people with a genuine gift having seen the genuine future did not lead to the future. They led them back. Where did they go back to? Back to the wilderness. Back to God provides every day. Our shoes never wear out. Our pastor sees, you know, meets with God. He writes a Bible. They didn't go all the way back to Egypt, which is better than where some Christians are, but they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years. I've been doing this for 40 years and I can remember hearing people preach this at the beginning. And I think the church is still there. Some keep, some go across every time, but so many turn back. Only two guys said, yeah, there's giants out there, but they're meat on our table, amen. We can take them out. A giants are no match for us. We can take the promised land, hallelujah. <laughs> Caleb and Joshua. The other guys, I'm sure none of us could even know their names. Unless you've really studied it. There was... 10 of them out of 12, 10 out of 12, that's a lot. That's more than 80% according to my mathematics. Can I encourage you right now? Not everybody that comes on, even with a genuine vision from God, is leading in the right direction. We, We have to be astute. We have to be clever. We have to really think about that. If you know Pastor Brian and you trust him, listen to the prophetic words he gives and check with him whether he thinks the one you're listening to are worth listening to, amen? Because just remember, 80% of them see the right thing, but they don't lead with confidence, with faith, with boldness. If they've got the love of God, there's no fear, amen? If they've got the, that's what you'll know them by their fruit. If it's love, there's no fear. And they'll have joy. Yeah, we can take the giants, woohoo, let's go. It's waiting for everybody's fingers to catch up. (laughs) After 40 years, then they go back here. You know what happened the next time? Joshua sent some spies in. How many did he send? Two, because he remembers there was only two good ones last time. He's only sent two this time, amen. (laughs) Sent two in. And then they came back. And this is what they found out when they went to Jericho and met Rahab, the motel keeper. Some of you know the other word for it. But anyway, she's the motel keeper. (laughs) And she says this. And remember what the bad spy said. We are no match for the giants. Remember that? And she said this. I think she said it. There is no spirit within us. From the time we heard what your God did for you against the Egyptians... We are terrified of you. We know that we're not going to win. Amen. So when the 10 spies gave their negative thing, it was a total fabrication. It was a total lie from the pit of hell. There was no truth to it whatsoever. Because when they actually listened to what they really thought, they'd been terrified waiting for 40 years for the inevitable. Amen. And so then, this part's very important. So now they're coming up after 40 years. This one almost makes me cry. So I'm dumping a lot on you this morning. 
There's the River Jordan. And when they get there, the leaders of Reuben and Gad said this. They said, now Moses, Moses, just, no, just listen to us for a minute, Moses. All right, Moses, just relax. Look at all the green grass. We've knocked out a few of the enemy here. There's a couple of fortified cities. How about this? How about this? How about I keep all my people inside this impenetrable barrier to protect them from the evil people that are still out there? I keep them all in. We put stained glasses on the outside. I'm, going, I'm meddling now, aren't I? We'll keep them all in there. We'll build big sheepfolds for our sheep because these leaders had been very successful in the wilderness time. They were so successful, they had lots of sheep. They'd raise lots of kids because after all in the wilderness, they just say, just breed babies. God's providing. They're presuming on God's goodness. Just keep breeding babies. God provides. Keep up. Keep growing sheep. God's providing. And they had lots of flocks. They had big flocks, great big flocks, putting their people in fortified cities. And they said, there's plenty of grass here because we're close to the river of God. Amen. They're close to the river. They didn't now want to go back to the wilderness. They wanted to live close to the river. But they said to Moses, do not make our people cross. So there's some prophets you've got to watch out for and there's some leaders in churches you've got to watch out for. Amen. The leaders of Reuben and Gad said, we'll go over the river We'll live in the promised land and enjoy its fruits, but we're not going to lead our people into their inheritance. Amen. I think that's pretty scary myself. And I think we have to be very aware right now. And this is a time of being very smart. Amen. Being very wary. So later on, they got to the promised land. Now they're going to cross over. So now, what it said about Moses, Moses was a great leader whom God knew face to face. Where did God speak to Moses? Between two things. Above something. <laughs> oh, he spoke to him in the burning bush. But when they built the Ark of the Covenant, God spoke to him from between the wings of the cherubim on the top of the mercy seat or the, the lid. It just means lid. It doesn't, it's not, you know, mercy seat's just a King James word put on it. It's a lid. It's a golden box. What's inside the box? Moses, I mean, Aaron's rod that budded, which is a picture of true life-giving leadership authority. There's the tub of manna, which speaks of the living word of God. And then there's the tablets upon which were the Ten Commandments, speaks of the written word of God. They are the foundation for us hearing from God. Amen. Then it says this of Moses. There was no leader like Moses whom God knew face to face. Moses did the acts of God, didn't he? He knew the ways of God and he did the acts. When Moses was the leader in that great church in the wilderness, everybody saw the leader operating in the supernatural and he was awesome, but they didn't participate. And when they carried that ark, they kept it a long way from everybody. They put it in the Holy of Holies inside the middle of the tent. And nobody could go in there except the high priest and Moses. So nobody had their own personal access to God. They had a good church. They had a great thing in the wilderness. And even the Reubenites here, they've got a fairly good thing because they're close to the river of God getting green grass and you know, you've got to feed the, that's what Phil Hills told me when I started. He said, Dave, keep the grass greening and there'll be plenty of sheep. 
Keep the grass green, amen. Isn't that true? Don't feed them raw onions. Give them green grass. Here we go. They're there. Now, the rest of them are going to cross the river. When they went across the river, I'm back over here now. Here's the river. The Jordan means flow, flow from above. It's like the river of God that flows from the throne of God. Amen. So when they're going to cross the river, Joshua says, prepare things. We're going to cross over in three days. Now what happened? Those carrying the Ark of the Covenant, here it is. They went down into the middle of the river and they stopped. The river split in two directions. What's the Ark represent? It's the presence of God. It's based on the foundation of the written word, the living word and leadership authority. Pause. Why couldn't Moses lead them in? Who remembers the story? They had no water when they first went in the wilderness. So Moses took out his stick and he hit the rock. Sometime later they got somewhere where there was no water and God said to him, get everybody, God said to him, bring everybody there, get your stick, but this time speak to the rock. And Moses, I love it in the New Living Translation, he goes something like this. You bunch of rebels, how much more do we have to put up with you? And he hit the rock, water comes out and God says to him, Moses, that just disqualified you from going into the promised land. Why? Because he used his rulership the wrong way. He used his rod of authority the wrong way. So in church life, we have to learn how to speak God's word and let, this is Jeremiah 1.12, God watches over his word to perform it. Amen? Yeah, but it's not as fast as hitting them with a stick. I know. I used to round up the cows. Oh, you know how much running I had to do to round up the cows? I was only young. I'm running this way and the cows see you trying to push them that way. They want to go that way. Not all of them. There's always rebels. I'm running this way and I'm running that way. And later on, my dad got heart trouble and he couldn't run. So he goes like this. He puts a bit of hay under his arm. He goes, come on, girls. And he walks through the gate and they all followed him. <laughs> that, isn't that leadership? Isn't that leading? See, me running around with a stick, I wasn't leading, I was driving. Amen? It's a much, maybe quicker process, but leadership is right. So Moses had that rod of authority. He was getting the Word of God and hearing from God, but he didn't speak God's Word. He just used the authority. That's not good leadership. Amen? So then God delegates the new job to Joshua. And Joshua was given some very simple instructions. Be strong. What's the next one? Be courageous. Be strong and courageous. Maybe even be bold. For the Lord your God is with you. Then he said, the book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. His job as leader wasn't to go on the mountain to get the word of God. Moses did that. Moses gave him the Word of God in a book or on tablets or in scrolls or whatever. He gave him the written Word, and Josh, but Moses couldn't lead them in there, but Joshua could. How? By meditating in the Word. Amen? And so you see this picture of Joshua getting close to crossing the river, and when he's just about to cross, he's meditating in the Word day and night. Eat the Word, sleep the Word, think the Word, say the Word, preach the Word, pray the Word, meditate in the Word, study the Word, memorise the Word, grow in the Word. He's doing that. He's doing that. He's doing that. Because if you meditate in the Word, you can 
observe. Now, this is spoken about in the New Testament. In the parable of the sower, Jesus said, take heed what you hear. Take heed. The word heed means to see it. Jesus said, I only do what I see with my Father. Take heed. See what you're hearing. I wish I had time to teach on that. It's so good. Joshua goes up to the river and he sees a man standing there. And he goes over to him and he says, are you with us or with our enemies? And the man, the mystery man says, the question is whether you're with me. You know who that was? In Bible college, they call it a Christophany or something. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And remember, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word. So the more Joshua meditates on the Word of God, speaking it, then the living Word of God comes into manifestation with His sword drawn in His hand and He is ready to fight. Amen. And if you speak the Word, you meditate on the Word, it might seem slower, but you're releasing an infinite power with whom nothing is impossible. Amen. It says that He comes down on His white horse and He has a name written. He is the Word of God and He has an inflexible rod of authority, a rod of iron with which He will strike the nations. And they in the nation, Psalm 2 says, they're going to get upset with Jesus, but He who sits in the heaven laughs at them. As long as we stay close in that secret place, meditate on the Word of God and speak the Word of God and do not vary our confession. It's an inflexible Word of authority that the enemy cannot defy. Amen. He can try to trick you out of it, but he can't bend it or flex it or change it. Amen. You will win if you do what Jesus says. So Joshua's meditating in the Word of God. He's got the only way to get into the promised land is that way. Amen. It's not about being made a leader and getting a title and throwing around your rod. That's wicked wilderness stuff. Amen. And you know, a lot of those people wanted to go back to Egypt. Even when they got up here, a lot of them want to go back to the promised land. Can you imagine that? Oh, I don't like crossing the river, mate. And I heard there's giants in there. Let's go back to the wilderness. I like that. But if they did, no more pillar of fire. No more pillar of cloud. No more manna from heaven. Amen. No more Moses with his face shining. So they put the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the river. God's river. It's the river of life. It's a picture of it. And then they all had to file past the Ark. And this is the difference. Moses knew the ways of God and the children of Israel saw what he did, but they didn't have their relationship But when they were crossing into that promised land, they all had to come face to face with the Ark of the Covenant where God speaks, amen? And then after that, it's not the physical box, it's each one with their own relationship with God. And it's a brave leader that will teach people how to do things and then let them do it, amen? Let them go. And when they went into that promised land, they had to learn how to fight, they had to learn how to take spoils from the enemy, And they had to learn how to sow and reap. There was no more handouts of manna. Not that there's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with God's provision, but God wants us to learn how to sow and reap. And now I'm going to finish on one more story. Peter and his mates get in a boat and Jesus says to them, go to the other side. Then Jesus was, this this is my take on this story after meditating on it for about 40 years. Go to the other side. So they get in the boat. And they're going across to the other side and Jesus is where? First crossing. In the back of the boat, what's he doing? 
Okay, think about this. Me and Rosanna sometimes drive interstate. And we used to, especially in the old days, you have to drive overnight to get there. So I start driving. You know, when you're going to drive interstate, you relax into the seat and you think to yourself, I'm going to be sitting here for a long time. Don't get excited. Don't get all wound up. Just relax, almost asleep, but not quite. Amen. And you start driving. Time goes past. Stop for fuel. Keep going. Keep going. And then when it gets really late at night and you can feel your eyes starting to go funny, you know, your vision's going like this. <laughs> I say to Rosanna, are you awake? She says, yes. So I hand her the steering wheel. I say, you drive, I'm going to sleep. What did I do? <clears throat> In giving her the steering wheel, I'm delegating it her responsibility now to drive and to get us to the other side. Now spare a thought for Jesus. Jesus is teaching all day. He's teaching in the boat. He's teaching, teaching, teaching. He finishes teaching, says to Peter, launch out into the deep, let your net down for a draft. Let your let nets down. He only let one net down. It came up, break the net. They bring it in. He calls his partners. Eventually the day is over. This has been a long day of teaching. You know how Jesus felt after that in his natural man? Tired. So he gets in the boat. He's heard from God what to do because Jesus said, I only do what I see with my Father and He only speaks what He hears with His Father. He's heard the instruction from heaven. It's just as powerful as the instruction is to let down your net for a draft, isn't it? Same kind of thing. He gets into the boat. He hands the steering wheel to Peter and he says, go to the other side. Whose responsibility is it to get there now? Peter's. Now Jesus goes for a sleep. He was the driver, but now he's given him all. That's all Jesus had was a word from heaven. He gave it to Peter. Jesus goes to sleep. Peter gets out there. The storm comes up. And what do they do? Wake up Jesus, right? Imagine if we're driving down the road like that and Rosanna says to me, Dave, there's a corner up. Lean over and take the steering wheel when I'm asleep. It's not going to work. So Jesus gets up. I don't know how he did this, but he got up and he rebuked the storm. He calmed the wind, the sea went flat and then they went across to the other side. Now, you follow the story, a couple of chapters later in Mark, they're going to cross the lake again. This time Jesus had been teaching all day that he was going to go on holidays. The crowd comes out, teaches all day, ends up multiplying bread and fish. And then he says to the disciples, you get in the boat and go to the other side. Have they got what they need to get there? Yes, they've got a word from God. If the devil comes up, they've got a word from God. They should, they've got to learn sooner or later how to use that word from God and get there. So now they head off without him. He goes up on top of the mountain and he's covering them in prayer. Now, what did I say earlier? The sower sows the word. Who comes immediately? The Satan. Go to the other side. Satan's going to come. They get out into the middle of the lake and now when they're in the middle of the lake, the inevitable storm comes. But this time Jesus doesn't go in the boat. Where is He? He's walking on the water, watching them, walking past like this. I've been a trainer. I've assessed people. I understand what He's doing. He's trained them. Now He's given them another opportunity. He's going to assess how it goes. So He walks past like this. What is, what's he hoping for? He's hoping for Peter to stand up and say, Jesus, watch this. 
you taught me and I'm going to give it a go now. And he stands up and he holds a, sort of stands in the boat and he goes, Storm, I'm telling you to stop now. I'm standing on the word, go to the other side. You get out of my way because I'm going through. Then he could have turned to Jesus and said, did I do it right, Lord? Is that what you taught us to do? Wouldn't that have been a great assessment? Competent, Woohoo! What did they say in the boat? They looked at Jesus walking on the water and they made the worst mistake a disciple of Jesus can make. They looked and they said, it's a demon. <laughs> How could they get it that wrong, amen? But you see, in any move of God, there are many people who don't see Jesus. They don't realise it's Jesus. And there is some tests you can have to make sure it's Jesus. But that's the way the Word of God works. Amen. Jesus kept giving them impossible instructions until they learned to follow it. Go over there and get me a donkey. And if anyone says, what are you doing with that donkey? He said, just say the Lord needs it. All right. You know what that's the same as? What's the car dealer here? You got a Ford dealer? Just imagine you got a word from the pastor. Get up tomorrow morning, go down the Ford dealer. You get a word from Jesus. Go down the Ford dealer. Go in there, they'll have a keyboard in there with all the keys for the new cars. Take the ones for the uh, Mustang. Come down, get the Mustang and bring it here. And if anyone says, what are you doing with that car? Say, the Lord needs it. It's a pretty hard test, isn't it? Let alone following some lady with the groceries and then put your foot in the door when she goes in the house and follow her in and say, we're coming here for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, <that's, laughs> get the room ready. There's some tough instructions, but after a while they started following them. And we have to understand that if we're going to go into the promised land, that's the lifestyle that it's going to take. Not dependence on the world, not dependence on God rescuing us as much as He did in the wilderness. He will rescue us if we make a mistake, but He wants us to grow to be mature so that we can take out some giants. And when Jesus comes back, we don't say, I'm over here, Lord, and I'm hiding behind the rocks. We can say this, Lord, we took over the area. We led everyone to Jesus. We took over the government. We run the businesses. We've got control of the money. We own the properties, Father. Woohoo! You happy, Jesus? Is that what you gave us authority to do? Then in that case, we're ready to go. Amen? And He'll say, a glorious church. Am I meddling? Rosanna's praying, okay. So what are the main points? Don't depend on Egypt. If you're still dependent on them anywhere, start learning now how to do it. When we first had to live by faith, I said to Rosanna one day, I said, it's easier to work for your money than this. But we got through the hard time, amen. God's been providing ever since. Look at all that equipment, amen. We had a PA years ago. We got, that's only the small PA. We had so much equipment. We had a truck full of equipment. And God said this to me, sell what you have, give the money to the poor and come follow me. I said, but Lord, it's taken me years to build all that up. He said, exactly. You did that in your own strength. You will lose it because of the shaking. See, whatever's not built on God's Word is going to go. We had to sell it and give it away. But God's provided ever since. And I said, well, that's good. I've got some more room in the driveway next to my house. And he said, you got a house? Yes. Sell what you have. Give the money to the poor. <laughs> Come follow me. <sighs> I haven't got time for all those stories. You've got, what's that one? No, he doesn't say that to everybody. But you've got to live on what he says. Man does not live on bread alone, but 
every word that comes from the mouth of God. He leads everybody in a different way. But you have to live on what God says in the Word of God. Father, we thank you so much today for this opportunity to have the Word of God, to worship God together, and to make the most of this opportunity for us all being together here in sale. Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you been born again, in other words? Have you said to Jesus, yes, you are my Lord? Because if you haven't, today is your day. And I want to show you how to pray a very simple prayer right now to receive Jesus as your Lord, how to receive his, what he calls his new birth, that you can be sure your name's in his book and that you are right with God from this point forward. Amen. So I'm going to get everybody to say this prayer with me right now. Let's all say this together. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I turn from what I've done wrong. I believe you rose from the dead. You've paid for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Saviour. I confess you are my Lord. I receive your new birth and I will follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray today for everybody that said that prayer and the person or whoever that said it for the first time that you would do a supernatural work in their life. Now, if you had said that prayer for the first time, just while every head is bowed, just raise your hand, let me know who you are because I need to know. I know there's at least one person that did this. God bless you, brother. You can put your hand down. Anybody else today? Okay, I see a hand right down the back. God bless you. Okay, and for everybody else, remember... Be astute. Do not be deceived. Some people say, God, let me be deceived. But he told you, do not be deceived. Amen. That's our responsibility. Do not be deceived. Remember, it's a season for prophets, but not all of them that have seen the future are leading in the right direction. Not all leaders with big churches are there to lead you into your inheritance even though they're going into theirs. Amen. It's scary stuff. And do not depend on the world. Amen. Father, I pray for everybody today that you will do a work in their life today that what we've talked about, what we've looked at in the Word of God can really come home into every heart and every life. Father, that this will be a day not to stay on the edge of revival, but to move into it in our own hearts, in our own lives, and overflow into the city and region in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And Father, I pray for Pastor Brian and Lynn, and I'm asking today, Father, for a supernatural, magnificent anointing, Father, of fresh energy, fresh empowering, that his eyes can only see Jesus and what Jesus is doing. And I pray, Father, that you'll overflow them with so much love, compassion and wisdom from God that everybody will know that they're listening to the Word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening.